0: Um, well, welcome everyone to the Austin Film Core podcast. My name is Matthias Marysegan, and uh, I'm on day I think seven of my push. Maybe it's six. No, it's seven. Okay, I've lost track of time, <laughs> but we've been podcasting every day for seven days. Today, I am joined by Carrie Cates, who uh, she's community director at the Austin School of Film. She runs her own podcast called The Scary Movie List Show, and she does a whole bunch of other things that I it would take too long to list. Carrie, why don't you <laughs> say hello to everyone?
1: Hi, yeah, hey, thanks for having me.
0: For sure, um, do you, so is there anything else you want to say about what you do and people get understanding of who you are and what you're about?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, I'm a a filmmaker at my core, I guess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And uh, essentially, I kind of specialize in very low budget producing. So I'm trying to figure out how you can beg, borrow and steal your your movies. And I teach that to students now all over the world at Austin School of Film. But uh, uh, of course, very much looking forward to being back on set again, hopefully, uh, (laughs) when all this comes to a close.
0: Yeah, I think you were close to, if not, um, I don't recall. Maybe you'd already started or whatever, uh, producing something or, or uh, that you'd written or that you were going to go into production with a short or something. Maybe I might be wrong, but <laughs> before well, the pandemic happened.
1: <laughs> um. So yeah i I work with a number of different filmmakers, and so i I've been in. Pro- production or in like pre-production for a short film since before the pandemic that we were doing a lot of like effects um testing and stuff I guess with Mm -hmm. but uh outside of that um I think pretty much everything else was just sort of I guess in the beginning stages but not very seriously being like moving forward I guess
0: (laughs) right was this a horror film
1: uh, it was, yes. Uh, that yeah. is the majority of what I do is like really schlocky B slasher type stuff. Um, and uh, of course, a lot of that has to do with the fact that I married a man who is very in love with horror. And so I've grown <laughs> to really like it as well. And oh, wait, yeah. a lot.
0: And your bathroom <laughs> is... T- remind me what theme your bathroom is.
1: It's a psycho. Yeah, we have a psycho <laughs> bathroom, which I mean, I guess that's not that creative. They have like shower curtains and stuff out now. But sure. Yeah, we went all out and got like the little screen grabs from the that whole scene and it lined up the whole the whole wall, which is cool.
0: Yeah. So I I know a few friends and I know you do this every year. I know it's I know it's um, January. Uh, Mm -hmm. Right now, but every October there's I have the friends that do the one scary movie uh, day a month in October. Um, And then people who are really into horror are really into horror and you have your own horror movie podcast and you produce a lot of horror that what is it about horror (laughs) for you?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I do the thirty-one days of horror, which um, I started doing, I think, six or seven years ago. Um, and then over time, it's become kind of a community of other people who also like kind of see what I'm watching, but then also um, kind of just I don't know. They just sort of join in and try to like come up with movies that we haven't seen, or they they watch them and also like review. And um, it's just it's fun. It's a fun little community and. With the filmmaking side, as as I said, I married uh, a guy who, when I met him, he had just come off his first feature film um, that he was in, he had acted in, which he doesn't do a lot of anymore. Um, and he had signed on to direct the um, the sequel that had been picked up. So, and this was back in Indiana. He had been shooting in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, that film just came out actually on Amazon uh, Video like last October. It took about 13 years to make. Wow. Which is, it's, it's the boyhood of horror films, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, like our whole relationship like started with me helping with casting um, and like sitting in and doing odd jobs on that set and um over time he was like you know you should really start watching horror films i've always been really scared of them um i am a big scaredy cat myself um and he yeah he was just like you should you should definitely start watching these and that's what sparked the 31 days of horror was me trying to figure out what it is that why people watch these because Mm. they're not like i don't know at first i felt like they're not really an escape at all they're something that's I don't know, if you can actively turn it off and not have to put your body through that, why would you? But over time, I've really understood that, of course, filmmaking is about evoking emotions and it's about pulling uh, people through something so that they understand and they can empathize and horror or just being scared in general is like the strongest emotion. So if you can achieve that in a film, make people legitimately scared, uh, man. You, you are a true master of the craft. (laughs) And so I think ever since I realized that that little light bulb went off and I've been chasing that. So yeah, Yeah. that's, that's where I'm at.
0: (laughs) So is it, so, um, horror is that, so you think that's probably like one of the best ways, representations of film making you feel something.
1: You know, I I don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I personally, I watch a lot more of like comedies and a lot more like romantic comedies and stuff that makes me like feel really good because I also Mm -hmm. understand and value that like escape and also, you know, release of endorphins and things that you can get from watching a film. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I guess. Just in general, making horror films is also, it's just a lot of fun because you get to get sloppy, you get to throw blood around. It's a little bit less pressure because a really good horror film can be made for almost no money. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like, you know, if you're going to go out and try to make a, a big rom com or something, you're going to have to, like, dump a lot of time and a lot of money, which we usually don't have. So, um,
0: do you enjoy the low-budget, like, B-movie or even C-movie horrors more than anything <laughs> else? Or are we talking about, like, prestige, like, hereditary and
1: get yeah, out? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I think there's a place for all of them. And I, I do, like, really good B stuff, you know, the bottom of the barrel things that you just wouldn't, unless you're, like, really deep diving into a genre, you wouldn't find. Um, you can find some really, like, some gyms in the rough so i guess i, I don't know I, I do chase those down but i i do like the big stuff too i mean i love the shining i love american psycho um i guess a lot of what i do like though is going to be kind of comedy horror <laughs> stuff that does have a moment for you to laugh like innkeepers uh yeah. have you seen have you seen that movie
0: not that one no
1: What? Okay. So you need to check out (laughs) Innkeepers. Uh, It does. uh, Thank you. Taylor's on the chat and he just said that (laughs) it's great. Um, So Innkeepers does this amazing thing that I want to tap into one of these days, which is they'll make you laugh and then immediately scare the shit out of you. Like they'll just, (laughs) because you're relaxed. They wouldn't, they like, don't like build these really, really tense moments. And then they let you laugh so you think it's over. And then they just scare you real good. And I'm like, man, that's such a good technique that I hadn't seen um, in any, I guess, horror films up to that point. And mm-hmm. uh, so I, I think that there, I don't know, I think there's a good mix. Yeah, Ty, he brings up Ty West. Ty West has a lot of really great stuff like that that lets you relax.
0: Yeah, I've never, I'm not a big horror fan or I've never been a huge horror fan. I think for the longest time, probably for like a decade, maybe 15 years, we were just getting crappy horror films, like nothing that elevated anything. It was just like a clear, like just jump scare fest, like didn't try to do anything. And then like, I felt like every major actor was in a shitty horror film early on in their career. Um, Yeah during that time, probably in the 90s, early 2000s, you know what I'm saying?
1: Yes. I I feel like I totally understand because I, I mean, we must have, we definitely, I feel like are pretty close to the same age. Yeah. And there, yeah, there definitely was like, there was a span where it was like torture porn basically. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, that's not, that's, I, there's no way I can enjoy that at all. But then, yeah, there was kind of this time too where it was like pop horror and i do like watching those like i like going back and watching them but when they were coming out they were awful um Mm -hmm. and that was like the 90s ish time um and then yeah there was just like a big uh thing on how many times can you make people jump out of their skin and that is not that doesn't make a good horror film it doesn't make a good movie in general either Mm so i don't know
0: yeah well i'm so glad (laughs) that like horror has been able to be re-elevated and people are like wanting to be in horror films you know because there's a lot that can be done with horror films now and we have this weird upswing of like the there's not for lack of a better term because I can't think of what it is but like social justice Uh kind of horror when you think of like Invisible Man or Get Out you know things are like tackling um, the horrors of our like societies i guess while giving you a normal horror film
1: yeah and i think that's like that those are also my favorite things to be seeing in horror is when people take things that are terrible and turn them into monsters Mm. um and there there's there's some films that have been doing that for a long time um that are in kind of the domestic horror realm like Taking things like being alone in your home and how that can like really be a scary situation if you're like a, a woman living at a home alone or something like that, like all the things that can happen to you, mm-hmm. but then, yeah, there are so many like like Baba Duke being about like domestic abuse, and there's so many like multiple layers that is really making this stuff this it's a fun genre to play with because you can say so much. <laughs> And just kind of layer in some monsters and stuff. And people will watch that. Whereas if you went and tried to make like a drama about domestic abuse, like you're not going to have the same audience if you have an audience at all. <laughs> no one wants to watch that.
0: Yeah. Um, well, Innkeepers will definitely be on my list. And uh, I think it will be right next to Vast of Night, which is the next oh. film I really want to watch. I heard that's really I good. Have just you
1: recently watched that. Yeah.
0: Did you like it?
1: I did. Yeah, it was a, uh, I it didn't, that was one that I didn't know what to expect with because I hadn't mm-hmm. really heard much about it. And then. I it think it's seemed, one of those
0: you do. I I want to go in without knowing anything,
2: right? Yes. Is that one of, yeah. I, th- I mean,
1: I think so. I, I don't know that there's, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't, maybe there are some spoilers or something that could be um, problematic, but I, I can't think of anything that I could even say to ruin it for you. I think it's just, it's beautifully shot and that's why you're going to like it. The cinematography is really yeah.
0: I saw pretty. the I saw the yeah um, the preview last night on uh, Amazon or something, and yeah, mm-hmm. it looks like it's it looks like it was almost shot in the what late fifties sixties or something. Yeah. That's like is that the time period that I was seeing or <sighs>
1: yeah. you know I'm having trouble placing <laughs> it's it. It's like myself. a weird
0: it's like a weird eighties vibe mixed with like this like small fifties yeah. town, which is yeah. That and looks interesting.
1: Well, yeah. the art direction is pretty. It's it's they have these meandering shots that just wander through the town in a number of times, like a number of moments. That it's just like, how did they even do this? You're gonna love it. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be good. Watch it yeah. tonight.
2: <laughs> so <is> there,
0: <laughs> I'll try my best. Is there is there an approach that you have when it comes to making your own like horror stuff?
1: Oh man, you know I. Since I'm not usually writing any of the pieces that I'm producing, uh, oftentimes I'm I'm looking at scripts. I'm looking at the things that um, people give to me. But I, I will say with- Yeah, what the, makes a
0: good horror script for you?
1: Yeah, there's a couple things. So yeah. first off, uh, like with The Rink, for instance, The Rink is the latest short film that I put out that's been playing at festivals, hit and miss throughout the pandemic. But it did play at- um, It had an Austin premiere at Otherworlds, um, Austin. And uh, has played a number of vests, but um, it had a couple things that essentially, like I was looking for. The big thing with that film was that I had a location in mind that I really wanted to shoot, and I had told this writer, who's a friend of mine, "Hey, I've got a roller rink,
2: <laughs> mm.
1: and I could have the we could have the whole place to ourselves, and they probably wouldn't care what we really." Did I mean obviously we can't like take down a wall or anything, but like they're going to let us kind of have free reign most likely. So we need to make something at this roller rink until like before it goes away or something happens. Um, So that was like kind of an, a unique situation where it's just like this is too cool not to you know mm-hmm. not to do anything with. And literally like a few months later, he came up and was like, "Hey, I've got a script. It's a <laughs> it's a rounder roller rink. Let's do it." And. It actually the the script he gave me. I was reading it and was like, you know, I've I feel like I kind of can anticipate what's what this reveal is, like what it is that's going to happen in this film. Um, and I actually kind of wonder if we don't play with like a gender swap with the main characters. And make it instead of like a male female couple, we make it like a lesbian couple, just to make it not seem like at the end we have some sort of damsel in distress situation or something that we could see coming, and we like kind of feel like this man might be a monster or this you know there might be something going on here.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And so sometimes it's it's nice that when I'm working with people, a lot of times I like working with people who don't mind these types of notes and are like you know, they, they're they open to collaborating because as a filmmaker and as, you know, anybody who's ever written a script, when you get a note like that, sometimes it'll just make you shut down. And you're like, that's not what I had. That's not the movie in my head. Right. Um, but I think it's because we made that choice that we were able to get it funded. We were able to get it into a bunch of festivals. And it really, I think it speaks to a lot more people than it would have otherwise. So I think I'm usually looking for something that's original I like things that when I read it, I can make that movie in my head. Um, just things that get me really excited. I guess. I mean, mm-hmm. what do you look for? Like, whenever you're thinking, like, what I have this amount of free time, I'm gonna make a project in it. What would I do with this time? Like, what what kind of things stick out to you?
0: In terms of script, uh, <laughs> sure. I don't. I don't read many other people's uh, scripts, but I guess one of the things you touched on when I do read a script is like, how much am I immersed in it, or am I am mm-hmm. I visualizing in my head, right? Yeah. If I'm not able to like understand what's happening, or or <laughs> or I'm not seeing uh or somehow I get lost and suddenly there's a character here and I was like, wait, when did that guy get introduced or something? You know, yeah,
2: like yeah. I,
0: that's probably like a lot of like more writing technical stuff than sure. than like um a s a script thing. But um I that's you know definitely one thing that you want whenever you read a script is to to not think about it, right? Or to not mm-hmm. think about, you know, is to is to kind of imagine this movie in your head and what it could be. You know, so that's, that's probably something that I'm always looking for. I'm always looking for also like just really interesting character moments, you know? Yeah. Um, moments where we can like slow down or moments where we see like some interaction that reveals these things about the characters that we wouldn't have known or, or just get a little bit of personality. I mm-hmm. really like those moments anytime I can have them. You yeah. know Yeah.
1: So the web, I'm working on a web series right now that we're shooting entirely via Zoom.
2: Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> Not a totally original idea, I'm sure, but it's a rom-com um about two people who are um they start video chatting because they're like on like a blind date and they live in different parts of the world. So it really doesn't touch on the pandemic whatsoever. But that's have, you all, exactly, have you all
0: started shooting it or is it pre
1: We have, yeah. We're five—I oh, okay. think five episodes in. Maybe no, we're six episodes in. It's a oh, ten-episode okay. series. Um, I was going to give you an
0: idea, but I'll table it. Then.
1: Yeah, it should actually release. Um, like I think Valentine's Day week, I believe, is when we're we're gearing up. <laughs> there you go. So, um, but with that, that's a, absolutely the reason I signed on for that. Like, this is a new writer that I haven't worked with before. She's not new. She's been writing a long time and she's very good at it. She won mm-hmm. like Austin film festival or something. Um, somewhere that's a good festival to
0: win. As exactly. A <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then she had kind of just not really done a lot for a number of years. And, um, we became friends on a couple sets and like, friends of friends. And you know how Austin film scene works. Everybody eventually knows everyone else. And, um, we were gelling and she sent me the script and I was like, the scripts like for the whole series. Cause, mm-hmm. uh, she was like, you, you just need to, you need to take in the whole thing. Cause it doesn't work single episodes. And so I read through it and it just has so many moments like that where they'll be, you know, just vibing off of each other. And then, things do they it's like time slows down and they have this breather where they realize that they're like really connecting on this this level that people don't usually you know if you're lucky you get one of those moments um in real life mm-hmm. <laughs> with the person yeah so um whenever i got to the first one of those moments i was like oh i even stopped reading like as fast and i was like yep okay i have to do this this film
0: <laughs> that must be really cool to in the middle of a script, just like know that, like, yes, yeah. I'm gonna do it. Yep. Yeah.
1: Cause mm-hmm. if, if the whole rest of the script is crap, I can, we could still build around this, this one scene and we can make it happen. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: So there's a lot of things too you were talking about with the, the other film that just like, um, I just like so many comments or questions about one of them being <laughs> like, I have heard so many times. Uh, I guess you could call it Filmmaker YouTube University or whatever, like uh, trying to learn as much as I could about filmmaking like over the years. But people always say uh, start with a location, like if nothing Mm -hmm. else, like know what location you have available, because that's going to be the hardest thing for you to ever get if you don't build something around a location um, That's gonna, you're gonna have like a, a big challenge. So, if you know what you have access to,
2: mm-hmm.
1: build your
0: script around that. I think that was great to start there with the roller rink. And what a great location!
1: Oh my gosh. And <laughs> yeah. it was so cool. I, so we shot at Austin Roller Rink that's down mm-hmm. like near the Moon Tower. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's old, it's grungy, um, not much has changed since it opened. And it has so much personality that like when I walked into that place, I was like, I have to make a movie here. And I think I even turned to the like the 12 year old that was running the checkout counter or something. <laughs> <laughs> they, they look like they're babies. Classic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he could probably like roller skate around me like 16 times or something and I would just fall over. But uh, I looked over and was like, oh my gosh, I want to shoot a film here. And he's like, oh, cool. Yeah, I bet the owner over there would let you.
0: That 12-year-old gave you permission?
1: <laughs> well, you, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he essentially was like, yeah, you should go talk to the person sitting over there eating nachos. And like, sure enough, she was like, yeah, we've had films here before. Um, it's totally fine. Like, it's great. <laughs> so then, of course, it was great to come back to her like six months later and be like, hey, I have money. And... Um, I need to ask, am I going to be able to dump buckets, like gallons of blood, fake blood on your floor? And she's like, oh, th- I mean, there's been real blood on that floor. Oh. <laughs> so that's not a yeah. big deal at all. And it was like, oh, my gosh, this is the perfect location.
0: Tell me <laughs> tell me, y'all smashed the, um, the disco ball or a fake no, one
1: no Just but there like, was no. i mean there was a disco ball we have a lot of behind the scenes because it the problem yeah. with a disco ball in real life like when you're actually shooting at a location is that they're never low enough to actually get them well in the shot right and so like this one had of course like the vaulted ceilings like it's way up there so it's not i don't think it's ever actually in a shot in the film but uh there are lots of behind the scenes where we're
2: <laughs> taking
1: yeah. pictures with it and things
0: I feel like if I were doing a horror <laughs> film in a roller rink I'd have to see that thing come down right yeah like <laughs> you
1: either need to you definitely either need to break it or I mean I guess they I mean they kind of do that in prom night don't they or maybe it's just a mirror they break in prom night,
0: yeah but. um oh, wow. the other thing is um uh we talked a little bit of uh or you mentioned a little bit about like feedback and stuff and I'm curious about that process right because that is true like it's really hard to find well it's really hard to find someone that will take feedback but also I think it's really hard to find people that give good feedback because a lot of times I've gotten feedback on some of my scripts the one of the first things I need to know is like are you understanding what I'm going for right Right. because if you're not understanding that and you're just giving me feedback based on what you want to see then <laughs> yeah then like then it's not then obviously like I'm going to have a problem with that so how right. do you f- how do you both in getting feedback or giving feedback or whatever wh- how do you f- know when you find that person that you can trust cuz I think it's really hard to do that
1: yeah i think that um what's helpful for me is that i always come from a place of i want to help every filmmaker that i interact with be a better filmmaker and make mm-hmm. the best film possible. And I think that a lot of people who know me kind of understand that, but like, I'm gonna bend over backwards and do everything in my power, even if I'm not producing your film. If you come to me and you're like, hey, I, here's what I'm th- like thinking about doing and I don't, you're gonna get a cheerleader in your corner <laughs> out of me. And that's like from my students to like people I've just meet in passing or friends or whatever. Um, And I feel like it doesn't really serve any of us as filmmakers not to support each other like crazy. Mm -hmm. So that I think helps is that a lot of people who are bringing scripts to me know that they're going to get things that are hopefully making them better and not, like you said, I'm not going to rewrite your script or help you rewrite your script because I want this movie. It's Mm -hmm. because I want your movie, but I want it even better than what you'd brought it to me with. And you're right. It is tough because there are times whenever somebody will bring a script that, like you said, has like some technical errors. And I do point those out whenever I send notes. I'm like, good. It's like, there's a person who just appears. Mm-hmm. And did you, if you meant for that, that's awesome. But uh, maybe we should give them a cloud of smoke or something to, to appear in, in an action <laughs> paragraph. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: but then there's also... I don't know. There's, I mean, I'm going to point out the grammar stuff because I want them to have. No, you need to.
0: I think it's yeah. important. And people I should mean, stop sending scripts with like spelling errors.
1: Yeah, I'm just going to say, <laughs> but that, and you know, there's always that chance that they might've been like, Hey, Carrie said, this is good. I'm going to go ahead and submit it to Austin film festival, or like some script competition in hopes to get some money. Mm-hmm. And now they're sending something that I said was okay. And it's like, just riddled with problems. Um, but yeah. And I, I almost always will start my notes with, here's what I think you're, here's what I think the story is like, here's the action idea that I got from it. And then that way, like you said, you could, if you sent me that script, you could go through and go, holy shit. Like, yeah, that is the, like, that is the premise. That is what I wanted or whoa, <laughs> this is yeah. way off. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I will say that there have been times where I've sent that to somebody and what they were writing and what I, I mean, I work with a lot of men and no offense, (laughs) but there are times where I'm like, well, I get that this guy is a sexist pig and he's like, blah, 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 you know, and I'll go into this rand like it makes him like a real villain. And they're like, oh, I, he's like my main character. He's not the anti, no, (laughs) he's not an antagonist. You mm-hmm. got this completely backwards, which is, and I don't know, I, it, I think it's good that I'm sharing that because that that only helps them in trying to go back through and like, maybe I should write this person to have like a little bit more of like a, I hate using this terminology, but like a save the cat kind of moment to <laughs> make him likable it, it, to some degree. So There's
0: a reason why that book's helped so many people make blockbuster winning <laughs> film you know it's like it's it's not a it's not a bad thing to mention though I guess it could be a little cliche for sure
1: I think there's <laughs> a reason that there are 200 copies at my local half price books yeah <laughs> 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 that's okay though that's alright
0: yeah no I think I, I love that because again if you starting off your feedback with like this is what I'm getting because for sure mm-hmm. that is something that like if you're getting something that I don't Want to accomplish with the script that I need to change something for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. mm -hmm. There can be little things that get by writers too. Like, um, I mean, there has been examples where like somebody just wrote something very brief and like really passively, um, like that a character said, and I read that and was like, "Holy shit, this character is racist!" And until I Pointed at that out as like, this is how I see that character in my notes back. They were like, oh no, no, they're not supposed to be. How did you get that? I'm like, well, they said this one line that <laughs> that's how I that's the only way I can see to interpret it is that maybe they're like, well, the example that I would use is that they were talking about a blonde, uh, with blue eyes as like the perfect specimen and whatever. And it's like, yeah, uh, that's like an mm. Aryan race. Thing. Like, what the hell are you doing with your characters? You got to be more careful about these types of things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, I don't know. I think um, the notes process is really important and there are a lot of writers who can't take them, but um, I'm, I've been in a really lucky situation where a lot of the filmmakers that I work with, um, they, you know, they respect my opinion. And as I said, they, they know that I mean well, and I, I want them to be better. And, um, you know, I, I, I won't sugarcoat notes that doesn't know on any good. (laughs) Yeah. If I don't like it, I'm going to note what it was that I didn't like it. And I also always offer possible ways of correcting it.
0: That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. Um. And in terms of producing, I feel like we could talk a lot about different avenues of like producing a mm-hmm. script. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I guess what are the things that kind of go through your head when you're thinking about possibly producing a script, right? Like you're not exactly sure that's going to be, but you're reading a script mm-hmm. and you're like, they're going to want to know if I want to produce this. And what's it, like, what's, what are the things that you're looking for? You know, what should producers be looking for in those ways? Yeah, and not just story wise, you know, like, you know,
1: right? Yeah, like, is this a practical thing right. that could play somewhere or whatever? I mean, here's the mm-hmm. thing: is like, if I say uh, I don't, I don't think this is right for me to produce.
2: That doesn't mm-hmm.
1: necessarily mean it's a bad script or whatever. It's usually just means that it's not. It doesn't make sense for me to be doing. Like, i mean, either mm-hmm. I don't have the resources that. I can pull to make this happen. Maybe I don't feel like I personally could find the budget for it. Um, Or, you know, I just, I, there's something that doesn't click about the people, places and things I would need to collect for you to make that film happen. Or sometimes it's just has to do with my own schedule. There are Mm -hmm. times of the year where, you know, my work with both Austin school of film, but also Austin youth film festival, um, which is a, a youth, Nonprofit film festival that I run that happens usually in May. It'll be in June this year at the drive-in, and yeah. So if it's like gonna be happening, or you're trying to shoot for a a starting date right around there, it's just not going to work for me. So I think that there's a lot of things when I'm reading a script that I'm looking at. I'm paying very close attention to things like uh, you know I'm I I keep a kind of running budget going in my head. It sort of looks, I'm sure, <laughs> yeah. like at the beginning of Stranger Than Fiction where like he's got all the math equations going on in the air around him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like that's how my brain works. Um, I was Is raised- that like
0: when it hits a certain like amount, you're like, you know whether or not you're you, what no. the capability is here?
1: <laughs> not only that, but like, yeah. you know, if you bring to me, I mean, first off, getting money for any horror film is going to be hard because a lot of times you can't get grants and things like that. They're just too wildly, uh, they could be problematic in so many ways that people won't usually give money to those as easily. But if somebody were to bring me like a documentary about this really like specific thing, and I'm like, oh, wow, I know of like a nonprofit that I've been collaborating with on this other thing that's really involved in that. And they have a marketing budget that we might be able to pull some funds from and they could sponsor this film. You know, it's it's that kind of thing that I'm usually thinking about is like, is there like a market for me to pull funds from? <laughs> and then also I think a lot about, you know, is there an audience for this? Are we just making stuff to just like, put it out and you know hold space on a server somewhere or are we creating something that hey I think this could play well at festivals I think this could play really well in theaters I think an audience would want to see this I think that I could get it on Netflix or I could get it on Amazon um so yeah those are the things that I'm really kind of paying attention to
0: and that I think was one of the reasons why you probably changed genders on that film Right. is cause it broadened the audience
2: well, for it.
1: It had or? a little bit to do with that. And it yeah, that gender swap did help <laughs> with funding as well because um it became a little bit of like we were kind of in the LGBTQ space and we felt mm-hmm. also like just as creators, we were like, There's not enough LGBTQ like horror films. There are some and they're great, but there's not enough. And so this could be like a really fun area to like create in um and and of course like that film had like 75 percent women on set so we were more than 50 50 and so when we were writing grants like was that
0: accidental or was that purposeful
1: that was a little bit of both we actually kind of already had that planned um but with that it we did it did become more conscious when we started writing grants with that language in it that hey this is Mm going to be a a film that tackles this, it's going to be uh, more than fifty percent women on set, which is an underrepresented uh, space in the industry. And then also one thing that we did consciously do because we knew this, like we had already written the grants before we started casting, is we decided that we were going to work on making sure that the cast was very diverse. That we were going to have Latinx characters, we were going to have black, we were going to have like as many races as possible represented uh, on screen. And so we very consciously went into casting with that in mind. And even in our casting posts, we're like, we're highly looking for Latinx, specifically actors. I went on like, there is a really great, if anyone doesn't know about this, they should. There's a really great Facebook group for diversity on stage and screen for Austin. And it was started by Lucky Chaos Theater, which is like an Asian uh, infused theater group. I don't know how to <laughs> really describe it, but
0: is that here in Austin? Yeah, they actually huh. they.
1: I don't know how you haven't because Ling, I'm Wong,
0: Asian. Why didn't anyone tell me? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Ling Wong actually runs it. She or she used to be the executive director of it, um, and she has a dedicated desk at Motion Media Arts Center at the Austin School of Film. She was she's been one of our members since I think the day we opened.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: And their theater group actually rehearses there often. Um, they had a dragon, like a whole dragon thing that they would do the dance with, which was insane to walk in.
0: Oh, on. maybe I, maybe I've seen them before. Cause I did the, <laughs> the Asian market fest. Oh, I can't remember what it's called, but it was like the, um, it was like a little Asian market kind of mm-hmm. thing that pop up. And maybe I've seen their troop do stuff, something like that. Yeah. Cause I've, I've yeah, they're some dancing They're a
1: wild bunch and they have like kind of a a, uh, a twist on like mental health. Like a lot of what they're doing is trying to like explore mental health your own mental health through the arts, which I think is really cool too. But anyway, needless to yeah. say, if you're <laughs> if you were one of those people who's like, there's not enough, like I don't know how I would make sure that my lead is black or anything, you know, make sure that my cast is diverse. You need to join that group <laughs> and look around because those the people in that group are so wildly talented. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you don't post there, you're crazy in the city of Austin.
0: <laughs> Ava DuVernay also started a new website for diverse mm-hmm. crew, below the line crew and stuff. Yeah. I don't think it's live yet. It might be invite only, but like I signed up for the email list or yeah. whatever.
1: But yeah, I mean, even Mm -hmm. like, again, just looking into your own community, I think that you're going to find a lot of people like that. So that are, again, really talented. Uh, So yeah, we went into that film knowing that we were going to have a diverse cast, knowing that we were going to have more than 50% easily uh, women. And so that's the way we got grant funding for that film. Um, That's unheard of for a horror film to get like a cultural arts grant, (laughs) but we were funded through the city of Austin. That way we got a few thousand dollars that we could use. And yeah, it was a pretty decent chunk. Um, and I think that that also made that film stand out. Like, I think that's a good reason why it plays so many places is that so many people can see themselves on the screen in it. And, uh, it's very special in that way. So uh yeah, I guess whenever to go back to your question, which was something about uh how I choose a, a film to green light and that I want to dump my time into, like technically as far as resources and things. Um I don't know. I, I pass on a lot. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Good I'm very I'm very picky. Mm-hmm. Um and as most people do, I do tend to work with my friends a lot. Um that being said my my friend bubble is very very large from my time at as a community director and l- literally being on hundreds of sets since i moved to austin 9 years ago yeah so <laughs> um
0: i uh, yeah i'll just have you start listing those things right now and i'm going to take notes about what you won't so then, I can not have oh. those in any of my scripts. Okay, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. Um, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I want to. Uh, I eventually, I feel like I'm going to have to a whole roundtable about this particular subject that I'm sure. going to mention. Um, but I kind of want to get ahead of it now because I know everyone wants to know this, is, and so I guess oh. the, the way that you want to is like. Wh- how do you fund your movie? What do you have? What advice do you have for people who are wanting to fund their projects?
1: This is like the question that I feel like people uh, are usually too nervous to ask about. I hate that so many people are so nervous to talk about money.
0: <laughs> I feel like I see this question all the time, but maybe asking personally, it's really hard yeah. because they're they're Yeah.
1: Like having like a one off like, so how'd you get the money for that? You know, mm-hmm. I. I tend to be somebody who does op- openly talk about money like a lot. Like, I, I, I am not nervous about negotiating rates with people. I'm usually not ne- like. I, I'm very honest and usually very transparent about like how much money this film has to be made with. Sometimes even the actors, when I'm trying to figure out how much we're going to be able to pay them and what mm-hmm. their negotiated rates are going to be in things, and. <laughs> i guess with with film funding, there's a couple things that um can be really helpful. first off, I would never- requ- or i would never entirely rely on crowdsource campaign unless I had a huge audience already around whatever it was I was going to make like
2: i agree yeah it
1: would have to be a situation where I had like maybe I had the scary movie list show or something and <laughs> This might be a little bit of a uh, a foreshadowing of what it is that we're attempting to do with that podcast, <laughs> <laughs> but building an audience around that and then being able to use that audience that we've built as a a, a vehicle for crowdsource campaigns um for horror films.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But with that, I mean, I think that you're you have to build a community that's not just people who tune in. They have to be people who take action, people who are going to like, if you had put out merch, they would have bought it. Like they're they're really into whatever it is that's happening. So that's the only way I would rely on crowdsource campaigns uh, for entire funding of a film. And I think that there's just so many filmmakers who try that and they push and they push and they push and they like ask every single friend they have. And it's it's exhausting. Those friends mm-hmm. are exhausting to have. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I've been there. I w- I've made my first feature on entire crowdsource campaign granted we made that entire feature for four thousand dollars and lots of favors but ah, good job yeah thanks (laughs) uh but with that i yeah i might have a crowdsource campaign just so that we get a little bit of a community that's involved in the film in the creation of it um and with that i'm just you know i'm pulling my inner crowd, that's gonna be the space where I'm able to get, you know your aunt and your uncle to to give a couple dollars to a project so that they whenever you see them at Thanksgiving, they ask about it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead though, what I've turned in uh, turned toward is I've been splitting a lot of my funding between grants, um which I've gotten really good at writing um, mainly because I've worked in nonprofits for the uh, last good chunk of time and so I've kind of gotten a rapport with some of these grantors but then
0: and they don't get tired of you asking for money
1: (laughs) that's a different you know they they have (laughs) that's their job to give out that money Um, yeah yeah yeah. but uh, and what's great about that is I mean they give me money I put out a film and like with the, the cultural arts division for instance I put out a film it brings a thousand people to Austin to see it, which fun you know, that's the whole idea of that fund is to try to get tourism to the city. So if I show really good results, they're going to just keep doing it. You know, they're going to keep going. OK, well, you know, she brings people here. This is great. Let's keep giving money to the projects that she brings. Um, but then. Other than that, though, I have started working a lot more on attempting to get together investors. And that's such a tricky space, I feel like. And I know that there are well, especially some,
0: in Austin, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. And mm-hmm. there are some filmmakers who have it figured out. But you're right. Austin specifically is definitely a city built around people doing their own thing
2: mm-hmm.
1: and not necessarily people who- uh, I don't there's not a culture around philanthropy here. There's like there's not very many people who are donating large sums of money to nonprofits or yeah. the arts and I don't know I wish that culture would change. You know, wouldn't it be great if we lived in a place where like the rich people like wound up each other by getting commissioned work? Like from artists and they all these artists that are around could actually have like a livable wage. Wouldn't that be amazing?
0: <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> it's like uh we need like a new like renaissance or something where like, you know, these
0: You you're the third, maybe fourth person. If not, like we've talked about this so many times about how to get connected with investors and the need for there to be something. I feel (laughs) like I have a a million dollar idea. We need to create a website that connects investors to filmmakers. So if you want to take that on. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I don't know any... I
1: I wouldn't be able to... I would be able to do the uh, part where I take the money. I don't know that I'd be able to get the investors <laughs> to the website. Um,
0: Someone has to make this thing, and I'm just, I'll am throw it out yeah. there. I don't care. It's like if it gets me connected to investors for my films, let's do it. I feel like there's a way to do,
1: yeah, <laughs> do something. I mean, I've talked to my husband about this, and I was like, I want one day me to have made enough good financial decisions in my life to be sitting on a sum of money where my legacy, like my – Thing could be that I start a foundation where I can fund films. Whether that happen after I die, and that's something that you all do with my life insurance policy, or if it's something that I actually get to live to see, that'd be just an ultimate goal. I want that, that would be awesome. I want to be that person that one day is able to enable many filmmakers' dreams to come true by giving them the one thing that's like the hardest i think to get which is the money <laughs>
0: yeah i think that's really cool and i think that of all the people that probably would have that dream i feel like you could achieve that
1: oh, well i know for sure we shall see <laughs>
0: Now, now's a good time. Anyone uh, or one person in the chat, Taylor, you better ask a really, really, really good question.
1: Uh, This is when we realize he's asleep. (laughs) He's like actually like playing video games or something (laughs) in another room.
0: If you uh, if you listen to this uh, podcast live on Discord and join us on the Discord, you're actually able to interact with the guests and ask questions uh, live. But you got to join us and you got to be on there to do it. Otherwise, uh, you're listening to this later and it's not going to do you any good.
1: Yeah, too bad for uh, you because I'm I'm apparently going to read Taylor's next script and uh, we're best <laughs> friends now. Actually, that's
0: it. I feel like this has already made some connections. I had an actress on here and like someone else was like, "I'll cast you and I'll do your headshots," and now he's doing <laughs> headshots for you know. So, yeah,
1: yeah. I actually know Taylor. Um, so he used to live in Indiana or Chicago or some. In Midwest, Indiana,
0: yeah, yes, mm-hmm. which is
1: where I'm from. I went to Indiana State. My husband did yeah. as well. And one of our college friends, Tommy Martin, who was in a film that Ronald who directed the The rink, um, anyway, he was in that, but he hung out with all of us here and there. Um, really great drummer, just lives in Chicago. And uh, anyway, they're friends. So whenever Taylor moved, Tommy was like, "Hey, you should." Uh, touch base with this guy he just moved to Austin and I was like that's weird I'm not gonna like reach out (laughs) sorry Taylor I was like that would be too weird but feel free to share my information with him if you want and I don't remember if he ever reached out but uh, yeah we uh, we at some point or another have crossed paths multiple times and now we're friends on like all the social medias (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. Somehow we met each other through Facebook. Um, well, he we worked on a, a set before. but okay. We also both yeah. worked at the Alamo Draft House. Oh, so I thought I thought like he was just another. Else. Guy. <laughs> I worked there for five years. It was one of the best jobs I ever had. But uh, uh, you know, it's different. It, um, yeah. But but yeah. While the questions are getting typed up by Taylor, the one and only. <laughs> um, <laughs> I we um, I just yeah want to again reiterate like the you know um what you were saying about uh like um finding um i don't know what i was gonna say now
2: <laughs> i thought
1: i will say having this chat up at the same time as having the recording going i'm i'm distracted by both my waveforms and just the all the flashy lights that's going on you, on discord
0: yeah you gotta well welcome to my world <laughs> Because I'm, like, not only that distracted, making sure it's still recording or making sure, uh-huh. like, you're, like, I'm coming through and all yeah. these different things and trying to think of, like, you know, to ask questions that or is something. The Podcasting very lucky- is hard.
1: Yeah, that is the very lucky thing about the Scary Movie List show is that we do it in this office that's, like, basically been t- converted. It's our home office that's been converted into, like, a sound booth. And so it's just me and my husband. He, like, lowers the lights and lights a candle. Like, it's it's a mood. And mm. um, so we're just sitting in the dark talking about scary movies, basically. And there's just, like, there's nothing else. Like, if there even is a sound, like, an ambulance going down the street or something, we both just stop and listen to it. And then he just cuts that out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, like, it's this is, like, a wildly overstimulating uh, way to podcast, but I love it. Um, yeah. But it looks like Taylor Dunn, he he came through for us. He has a question.
0: <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about the film community in no. Indiana versus Austin?
1: So I will say that my film career, I don't feel like really took off until I moved to Austin. Um, I had started on some projects, but most of what I was doing in Indiana was I was shooting things by myself and just casting like my theater friends that like I was a theater minor. And so they were just kind of around.
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: <laughs> um, so yeah, it was just, you know, I was shooting. It was one of those situations. A lot of those situations were like, eh, we won't even do out of like, we'll just do in camera audio. Um, and they were very, they were fun sets, like just very relaxed, but, um, I didn't, I, so my timeline, I was in Indiana, uh until 2007 and then I moved to New Zealand and finished college um in Auckland, New Zealand at the University of Auckland. And so I actually started like really really filmmaking heavily there. Wait,
0: like, New Zealand actually exists?
1: Yeah, it's a real it's place. It's a real place. Yeah. And Sorry, the people there they're normal size too, not the hairy feet <laughs> ones you see on the on the TV. Yep, they're real people. Um But uh, yeah, so I I was making films there. That was like kind of probably one of my first experiences, like being on an actual crew. Um, I will say the film community there is also different in that they live on island time. So sometimes you start a half an hour late because no one showed up until, you know, they just kind of come and go whenever they feel like it. Um, Very laissez faire. Um,
0: I really want to be there. (laughs)
1: It's, as a producer, literally, like, I was constantly, like, pacing the floor. Yeah. Yeah. And and then, of course, people show up and they're like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I'm stressed out. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But anyway, then I I moved back um, after I I graduated, and that was 2008. So, as we all know, anyone who lived in 2008 – uh, the economy entirely bottomed out, which is hilarious to say now that we've been through a pandemic. Uh, but there was literally like no jobs in Indiana um, for anybody who was in the film industry. You, uh, if you were trying to get work, like at the local news station, for example. Um, I like just brought my resume cause I knew that they weren't hiring actively, but I was like, maybe, you know, they'll have a spot. And they're like, you're kidding. There's no way we're hiring you. We just laid off all of the people who've been here for 40 plus years. So not only are you going to have to get in line behind them, <laughs> you have no experience. Like you have no real world experience. There's no way you're getting hired here. So, uh, Yeah, I ended up like, I mean, I just worked at Best Buy for a lot of time, like probably more years than I would like to admit. And I transferred with that job to Austin because my friends were, had moved here um, that I had graduated with, one of which uh, was working on Predator. And I was like, man. It was Robert
2: Rodriguez. Yeah. So he was,
1: this is the weirdest thing. He had somehow, he had gotten himself into a situation where he was Topher Grace's (laughs) stand-in.
0: It's not a bad place to be.
1: Yeah. So they kind of, I mean, he kind of looks like him a little bit and they (laughs) put him on in the red jacket, you know, and just like had him stand there so they would do lighting and stuff and then he'd get tagged out. Well, yeah, I mean, he was like, yeah, I'm making like a decent wage doing this. And I was like, man, if he can do it, I like, I'm so much more ambitious. I'm going to go out down to Austin and like (laughs) make a life for myself here. And uh, my husband, of course, too, he worked at UPS, I think, at the time and was like, yeah, let's just move like our jobs we can transfer with. Let's do it. We got here. And Austin is so amazing, too, because it has those elements of Indiana where you're like making your own uh, opportunities. Like you can just decide, let's make a movie with my friends. Um, But you also can find some of those paid jobs here and there. I mean, there's not enough of them, but but occasionally you will get swept onto something like, uh, I got to do casting for a Warner Brothers promo video for The Nun, that was really cool. And like, I've gotten to do some like rooster teeth stuff occasionally, or I've gotten to do uh, stuff with the chive or, um, you know, just these little little one-off gigs that's like, oh, that's cool. Like that adds to my resume, it was really fun. I got to work with some like bigger names. So I think there's a lot more of those opportunities I could make, like, and I have made a full time career out of being a filmmaker here. Couldn't have done that in Indiana, I don't think. Um, so while the there's a lot no, of support sure. in both places, but yeah, I think Austin's definitely it's more hopping. So
0: yeah, I mean, I guess my main question is: everyone has different experiences when it comes to the Austin film mm-hmm. community and like getting plugged in and trying to find work or all these different things like wh- how do you see the state of the Austin film scene uh, <laughs> not, not counting pandemic obviously right. that's a thing <laughs> right
1: yeah so when I first moved to Austin um, it was really hopping that was about the time like Friday Night Lights was coming to a close um, there were a couple TV shows going and so everyone was like either paing or being an extra or some doing something on one of those.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and it seemed like that was right around the time that the Texas Film Commission had its budget cut by like half. <laughs> and so suddenly like they couldn't support these types of productions anymore. They just dried up and it left this like, empty creek bed of all of these amazing filmmakers without any kind of work to be able to support themselves. And so, I mean, I I was here whenever that started to happen. And what I kept seeing was there were some filmmakers who would go, well, I guess now I have more free time to do the projects I want to do. And some of those people really launched careers at that moment. And then there were some that were like, you know, I I can't find enough work here to support myself, and I have to. I'm not in a privileged position where I can get away with that. Uh, so they've moved away, and I think throughout all of the last like nine years, there's been a lot of people who have moved here thinking that they were moving in to the place of Friday Night Lights, and when things were hopping, and they've gotten here and they're like, I did, yeah, and you're like. Where's the work, people? What happened? And it's like, you you got here a little late.
0: I think I moved here a year before you did.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's a frustrating situation, but uh, there's really only two ways you can work in the Austin film industry. You can either make your own opportunities, make your own films, and then hopefully see some success with that if you're good. Or you can go try to, like, create, like, marketing videos or something at some big tech company and get by like or making like training videos or something like somehow lock yourself in almost like a what is that little fish that like hangs out underneath a shark and just like picks up the scraps
0: i yeah Mm -hmm. yeah
1: yeah you gotta like be that with some like big gross tech company (laughs) um at which point you're not making what you want to make but yeah that's, that's a
0: great way to put it. We just talked, we commiserated about being videographers uh-huh. um, on the first episode of this podcast. And that's kind of like, I don't want to be. I don't want to be there at all.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, so I, I guess say... two
0: follow up questions I guess is how do yeah. you know that you're good enough? Oh, God. <laughs> don't answer that.
1: No uh, one knows. <laughs> Also, um, I've seen some really terrible filmmakers in Austin make it really big on their terrible films, like, ironically. And the, uh, <laughs> it's just so yeah. frustrating. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I guess um, what – wow, my brain is just not working tonight because um, <sighs> uh, you were talking about uh, the ways that you can get um, plugged in.
1: Yeah, over, I ramble yeah. a lot.
0: <laughs> and i'm now, now i'm just forgetting it like because i i for because i guess i didn't i was like i don't know if i'm good enough for this maybe that's oh, why Oh no. no
1: you're fine you're fine i've um, seen your stuff you're good i don't know what <laughs> get that self-doubt out of here
0: <laughs> uh let's move on to uh taylor's second question think it's a, <laughs> okay a, de- a decent one and uh and i think i know where it's coming from i might have an opinion myself you have a web series coming out Mm -hmm. Uh, are you planning on putting it directly on YouTube which is a question and if Mm -hmm. so um, how will you go about gaining an audience there really trying to see how we could um, find ways to boost our audience for a web series on YouTube Um, so we did we talked about making an audience right Mm -hmm. we talked about how like that's very important um, in whatever capacity um, especially like when you're podcasting, you're building an audience. Right. Do you have, I mean, are you doing plans for YouTube? And do you like, and is there an audience on YouTube for what y'all want to do? And how are y'all planning on building that?
1: Yeah. So I think this is a, this is a really interesting space because if you ask me before the pandemic, I really was not interested at all in putting any of my work on YouTube at all. Um I've always been mistake. I know. I've been a Vimeo person for the longest time, which is Oh,
0: so prestigious. I'm sorry.
1: Ridiculous. It's actually (laughs) absolutely ridiculous for two reasons. The main reason Vimeo is not the most ideal situation is that have you ever tried using the search on Vimeo to find a video?
0: Yes. Uh Uh-huh. You're never
1: gonna find that video that you're looking for. Never. You're correct. (laughs) Once once you see the video, even if you remember its name and who it's by, you're never gonna find it again. <laughs> you actually have better shot at Googling that and finding it through the video tab of Google. I don't know, it's irritating. Anyway, that's really has been, I've been that pretentious filmmaker that's only ever really put any of my public content on Vimeo, and I also tend not to put any of my films. Out in that way, which is even more of a pretentious move, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that, like, like the rink, for instance, it'll it'll probably be on the festival circuit for about a year and a half. And so by the time it's done, I feel like, okay, that's like unless it's somehow I could get it submitted to like Hulu or someplace that's gonna pay me to put it out, like what am I gonna do with this? I'm just gonna it's it's run its course. I've gotten what I needed to out of it, which is, you know. Potential new people to work with, or you know, whatever. But ever since the pandemic started, I myself have becoming a huge consumer of YouTube. Um Mm -hmm. I have started subscribing to things, which I Mm -hmm. never would have seen uh me taking the time to do. I watch Good Mythical Morning every day when I drink coffee in the morning.
0: Good choice. Yeah
1: uh i we watch um like how to drink we watch like just all sort of, like it's become our television it's become the thing that we flip on instead of cuz we've cut the cable of course um so it's really become such a heavy thing and what's wild is but even just sitting and listening watching good mythical morning my brain is going and i'm like okay these guys make just off of their advertisements uh it's like public you can look this up it's like several million dollars a year just on the ads of these videos Well, they
0: ret and link they've been doing it since the beginning of youtube since like 2005 so
1: they have built the audience they put in time it's not Mm -hmm. like this is an overnight thing
0: and good mythical morning is technically their second channel i mean i don't know if they do anything on ret and link anymore right but yeah (laughs) yeah
1: yeah and i mean they had a tv show as well yeah um, mm-hmm. which is hilarious. And I think it's available on Amazon Prime. So if anybody wanted to go looking for that, um, it's really funny, but it's in standard definition and it's so pixelated uh, right. when it streams. But um, yeah, just watching those, I was like, oh man, okay. Of course I start doing this math and I'm like, how many subscribers do you have to have before you can start monetizing your channel? That's like a thousand or something. A thousand.
0: Yeah. Um, it used to be like a hundred.
1: So then, I start paying attention to. So I have other friends who put like have a YouTube channel. Like, there's a YouTube channel that I watch really regularly. That's a local filmmaker. His name it's, it's Ronald Short, um, but he has Stoned and Starving, where he gets baked and then he like gives reviews for junk food essentially, and it's usually pretty funny. It's usually pretty charming, and they're very short, so like it's pretty watchable. <laughs> Just watching him eat, like I don't know some sort of new flavor of Skittles or something. Um, But I've even watched like the building up of that audience and he's, he's still not at a thousand and he's been doing that for almost a year, actually maybe longer than a year now. And so it's like, okay, as we were talking before, you can't have, you can't let a, like your YouTube audience most likely, unless there's something weirdly unique about it or you're very good at keywords that will get you up in the algorithm you have to market that channel so you have to put in money to make that money like you're gonna have to and energy um whether that be like building up an instagram following or just posting it in a bunch of different places and sharing and just begging people to subscribe or you know whatever your avenue to get to that point um so yeah, is I don't that, know, so my, what are you all brain. planning
0: for your stuff for the web series? Where is that going?
1: It, it is going, I believe, directly onto YouTube. Um, and and you,
0: how? And what do you think you are going to do to get that growth? Is it going on its own specific YouTube? So that's
1: channel? a good, really good question. So yeah. the writer director and I had just we had talked about this recently, and I don't know that we ever came to a one hundred percent. I guess, solution on it. But one of the things that I was thinking is like, maybe this is this could be potentially the way that I make that dream come true of being able to fund other people's projects eventually is the possibility that we do create a new channel that this web series would go on to. We would start, you know, this might be the first, this would be the first project, but then we work, both of us work with a number of different filmmakers, um, and it could be something where we get a couple people to make, you know, shorts or web series or, I mean, even the podcast could live there. There could be some different, like, things for different types of people. So it's almost mm. like we're building, like, a Netflix channel
0: <laughs> of yeah. free content,
1: no. but it's paid for I think that's always,
0: yeah. yeah. I think it's always been possible on YouTube. I think that's what I want Austin Film Court to eventually be for sure.
1: Yeah. You know, because if, if you can build mm. that – then at that point, it's easy because I could come to a filmmaker like, like I could go to Taylor who uh, sounds like he has a web series and I could be like, OK, when it's done, like obviously I'm not going to be able to pay for it up front at this stage. But when it's done and our channel is monetized, I would be able to see the analytics and I could be like, hey, uh, based on views, you'll get paid out each quarter or something from your web series. Like that would be really, really special for a lot of filmmakers because many of us put it out and we don't expect to get anything back. But I could approach specific people that I feel like have really good content, and you know it could be like a distribution channel, which could be really unique and very fun to to run, I think over time.
0: well, I think that also goes back to if if what we're talking about to tie it into everything is like we like it's supporting each other Mm -hmm. right if you can't do it yourself like how are you going to team up with other people to support each other in in a certain way
1: yeah because if we all like if we all band together to make like a really cool youtube channel and i'm of course going to market the videos that i'm making taylor would be pointing people at his web series but then occasionally of course we point people at the other things that we think are funny on the channel we're all building. The same audience instead of each of us individually in our own little pods. And I think YouTube is set up in such a way that it kind of makes you want to create your own pod, but that doesn't actually make it more lucrative. It would be more lucrative as like a a collective.
0: Right. And there's no reason why you couldn't break off
1: Mm -hmm.
0: at some point, right? If you become so popular, if people are just coming, if you feel like, I mean, I guess it'd have to be a conversation, but if some people are coming to this YouTube channel for your show specifically,
2: Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and you feel like this has enough legs to do its own thing, I guess you could do that,
1: you know? Yeah. And what it's really cool is that my hope for that would be that Yes, we would have shows like that that would just blow up and I could then take that to Hulu or I could, th- you know, instead of just right. necessarily like having saying, hey, okay, yeah, it's cool that you have a spinoff channel um, and we'll direct traffic at it instead. Like, let's go for the big guns. Let's get yeah. you on an even bigger channel than here. So.
0: Right. Well here's the thing, is like there's two there's two things I want to say. That one, that exists for sure. Like that's happened before. Mm-hmm. I mean rocket rocket jump yeah. being one of the main uh, examples of them getting a, a Hulu show. Two Hulu shows yeah. actually. Um Dimension Four One or Four O Four, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Dimension Four Four and then they're like behind the scenes rocket jump show. Whatever, where they made a short every week and then did the behind the scenes on it, which was super super cool. But they started out as YouTubers, as right. one guy, I should say, two guys, and then it became one guy, and then it and then it became a whole production company. And so, like, we see that kind of stuff happening successfully. We also see it happening not su- successfully all the time. <laughs> but the other thing I want to mention, maybe you have an opinion on this, is um, I feel like we sh- we already have that in Austin. Um, and i feel like they're doing a terrible job at it and that's rooster teeth um why isn't rooster teeth making something i don't know if i want to talk bad about rooster teeth but like <laughs> you don't have to if you don't want to sure. but the thing is like that's of like they own probably half of youtube probably yeah. you know i mean they got the
1: they have so much great content that mm-hmm. they put out
0: and I feel like they work on their own stuff a lot. And they do promote other filmmakers within their channel. Like, it it does mm-hmm. happen. But I feel like it doesn't get outside of the network too often.
1: Like, yeah, I think they very much look at themselves as, like, a community. And so they're making stuff for their own audience that they've built with, right. like, Red versus Blue and all the, like, the OG stuff that they, they've got. Um, so, yeah, the, they're... At this point, they're kind of like it's like inside jokes. I feel like though one of the things that uh, I got the chance to do before the pandemic, but it was a few years before the pandemic. This was before Laser Team came out. Um, is that they had done? There was like was a, the Bloodfest. Uh, no, it was well no. before Bloodfest even. Um, oh, okay. So like I think Laser Team, the first one came out before Bloodfest, but before they had done any of that, they had this little talk with a producer group that I'm a part of and they were like, Hey, okay. So we're, um, we're kind of making this announcement that we are going to start doing feature films. And, um, I think that they saw that as that will now be our billboard for out people outside of this community, people who haven't made the jump into rooster teeth. um, space before and so i feel like at that point they kind of closed their doors in on themselves but i don't know i maybe they've always been that way because red versus blue was very much made for a very specific audience of gamers Mm -hmm. and you know i think that that's why it worked <laughs> yeah, but they've made so many
0: it. different things since then. They've got yeah. like Ruby, which is very popular, mm-hmm. another animated series. They got Michael B. Jordan on as a voice yeah. cast. Uh they've done as you mentioned, Laser Team and uh Bloodfest. And yeah. they've uh and they even released recently some I mean it's all on their own network. It's on their website, like right. Mr. Teeth website now, because they've kind of gotten away. They've learned as most big YouTube companies have learned to have their own subscription model that people can go to. Right. So I think that's um that's something that like I felt like was always a missed opportunity. Even for the Draft House. One of the biggest companies, they have like the Draft House has a huge distribution network, Neon Films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where they they distribute like a bunch of different like major films. But they I feel like Where's the support for the local independent filmmakers that are not in your network? Or how are you reaching out to them to be able to see like how you can produce more stuff or bring more to the community that's not just yeah. your own?
1: I mean, I think that they're to some degree too. Um, both of those places have rabid fan bases who mm-hmm. anything that they put out those people are going to see and they're going to love and they're going to buy all the merch and they're going to, so they are still doing something right, for sure. Um, because they've I mean,
0: I could be a hypocrite because if I were had my own company that could do that,
1: obviously. Right, right.
0: Yeah, you know. But
1: at the same time, I think both of them also tend to, uh, while they're big, they also still make movies with their friends. Um, you know, like, like, Owen is a local, the guy who made Bloodfest or wrote and, I believe, directed Blood Owen Fest. Edgerton? Yeah. he's He just,
0: did that one? I know he did yeah. some other – yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: he's a local. That was a film that I – if I'm not mistaken, was on the blacklist. Like, it wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> I have
0: no idea.
1: Uh, yeah, so there's – or if it's not, he had – no, he had another film that was on the blacklist that, like, basically no one would touch. And that the, one of the heads of rooster teeth was like, this guy's amazing. I love that script. It was ridiculous. We're obviously not going to make that one, but we're going <laughs> to make this other thing with him. Um, and so there's, I don't know. I think there's that, but then like, like draft house with neon, um, and even with draft house films, like he was making, Tim was making decisions even with like films that like Aunt Timpson Made and that's one of his old friends. Um, so, like the ABCs of Death, uh, one of the producers right, of that, and then he's made right. a, a bunch of other really, really great things um since then. But
0: I guess it just doesn't get get down to us lower people.
1: <laughs> I, I think that if you just start paying attention to, to who's posting on whose Instagrams, you'll notice like, oh yeah, th- these are like college buddies that are still mm-hmm. helping each other out. So. I don't know. I think that there's still a little bit of that going on.
0: Sure. I'm sure there's some truth to that for sure. Like, you know, that's always happened within the film industry. Is like mm-hmm. making stuff for the people who have been with you there from the beginning.
1: Yeah. And that's, things like that. That's how you should make films, I think. Like we should I mean, All one of my favorite directors.
0: Together. Yeah. One of my favorite directors his cousin composes all of his films.
1: Yeah. 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 Um my, I mean, Wes Anderson is still making films with his college roommates, the yeah. Wilson brothers.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're not having fun, I guess. So, you know, I can't be too critical of it. But at the same time, I'm sure we're all looking forward to what you... Are saying you want to put out there, which is like a YouTube channel, which
1: that would is be cool. very
0: specific to Austin. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's a production company and a YouTube. You know, whether it's a YouTube, it doesn't have to be a YouTube channel specific, but it's just sure. a production company that's acts. It's basically acts as a studio. Yeah, with its own distribution network being YouTube.
1: Yeah, and you know, I think that <laughs> yeah. overall, I'm not actually that interested either in like opening opening my own production studio. I know that's something that people love to do. Um, like, oh, I have my own production studio. You give it a crazy name, whatever. I would love for it to be mainly distribution because I think that there's so many great films being made here in the city that never yeah. get seen.
0: No, uh, for sure.
1: And they don't get the platform they should. But then Kind of also- like um, oh,
0: yeah. Dust. Have you heard of it? I that? have
1: not seen Dust. The no.
0: Dust ch- no, no, no. It's a channel. Oh, it's a it's- channel. Maybe I'm wrong. Wait, wait, wait. It's like a sci-fi YouTube channel. I think it's called <laughs> Dust. but it does just sci-fi films and stuff.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Um,
0: and they distribute short films from all over.
1: Yeah. So like to be able to distribute. And I think short films is just such an interesting space because people are getting to a point. Like if you would have when I graduated college, people used to say like, why bother making a short film? Because no one's ever going to see it outside of a festival well,
0: investment is even harder
1: yeah but like mm-hmm. now i mean the world is your oyster you can make web series you can make short form you can make new media stuff that doesn't have to fit into this theater box i mean none yeah. of us have gone to a theater in a year <laughs> yeah so yeah i think that you're right. I think that uh, this could be a really cool space and I, I would be interested in getting into distribution and I would be really interested because also that gives you a lot of power. I would get to make choices on what people see. And there's not a lot of women who get to be in that kind of place of power to to really green light these things and stuff. Um, but then also it would have like a funding, definitely a funding component that would help filmmakers make Hopefully, they're living wage and be able to survive doing creative projects. Sounds awesome. Let's do it.
0: (laughs) For sure. Let's do it.
1: Taylor, are you in?
0: I got a script here if you want to start listening to it. Uh, We'll just go through and you can tell me. We'll just do a
1: a, a read through (laughs) right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, my main question, my first first main question is, uh, are you subscribed to my YouTube channel?
1: I I am not. Um, I can can look it up. Well,
0: this podcast is ending.
1: Oh, no. Uh, Abruptly.
2: (laughs) Abruptly. Abrupt. You just
1: boot me. I look over over to Discord and I'm like, not even, like somehow you've exited out (laughs) on my screen even. Uh, I can do that, yes, because I now know, A, how to subscribe. Man, how old am I? Um, But I can also ring that bell. I can do all the things.
0: <laughs> smash smash that like button yeah yeah uh, whatever um man yeah um it's fine no one else has subscribed to my channel either. i've been doing it for four years and no one knows that it exists. um yeah
1: it's you're, you're finding, relying on that organic growth and right
0: if i can say anything about finding growth or anything like i've always been a very adamant person it's like i wanted to make a youtube channel specifically for me <sighs> Oh yeah, It didn't, you know, it was one of those things where like if it happened, if it got growth, and I think growth on YouTube is always exponential. And Mm -hmm. it's really hard to put like practical or like bullet points on like this is what you need to do to find growth. Right. Um, And so for me it was always about like I want to do something for fun when I land on something that people like watching, which I have recently, which is weird. Um, (laughs) Apparently if I just make films about cameras and about things that like making film stuff, then Mm -hmm. people really get onto it. Um, It was never about that for me, but um, you know, like it's, it's, I think that it's, it just, it's going to happen if you're consistent, right? It's one of those things where you have to just consistently be making things. You have to get into it and do it for something that you love and that you're passionate about um, and that you want to do, whether it's every week or every day or,
1: yeah,
0: whatever it is,
1: the routine know. thing is very helpful to building an audience. That is one thing I have definitely learned with the Scary Movie List show, and that's actually one of the reasons why we did that podcast. Um, was that we wanted to kind of tackle like, how do you build an audience? Is there even an audience for something like this? Um, and because we had built sort of a thing around the thirty-one days of horror, and it could become quite a anticipated thing for so many people on Facebook, uh, it's just wildly interesting to see. We took one week off during our 10 episode season one, and it was right after we had done a... We did a rank of all the Friday the 13th movies. Yeah. And something we do with this podcast is we watch every single movie we talk about, like usually within a week of us recording. So we watched... 12 or maybe 13 no the next one will be 13 whenever is that day one day comes Uh, including
0: the crossovers
1: well yes we did watch uh freddie versus jason yeah okay um so we um we watched all of them in order uh like binged them basically watching like two or three a day for a few days and then we were like okay after we recorded that we're like we have to decompress from jason like this is yeah wow. So we took a week off and that gap, we lost listeners in that gap. Um, Mm -hmm. and I know just from the analytics that it's not because that episode's not good because the people, what's fun about, uh, analytics through our podcasting app that we use, which is anchor, um, is that you can see at what point people stop listening and they drop off. And on Uh that episode, Like, you know, we've had certain episodes where people might like listen for just a a chunk and then they might come back and finish listening. And that it kind of skews the little grid a little bit. But for that episode, it was like every single person, like we didn't have a a single person who stopped listening halfway through. They all tuned in, listened the whole episode and then tuned out like in the last 10 seconds when the, the final music plays at the end. And (laughs) and that's That's awesome. It's a pretty long episode. So we like, it's so easy from those analytics to see like, well, people did obviously like that because they listened to the whole thing. um, But they didn't come back after our two week break. And it made me think maybe some of them didn't realize that we had like, maybe they thought that was the end of season one um, or, you know, who knows what happened to them. I will say a number of those uh, listeners came back around christmas time so it was about a month later that we started seeing another pickup of of those listeners but yeah yeah routine helps because then they know when to tune in
0: consistency is always the number one mm-hmm. when it comes to content creation for sure mm-hmm. i feel like i'd be discouraged by something like anchor because i feel like i would just see a drop off every time i'm talking and the guest <laughs> is not talking no. and i would just be like now. We don't need to see this. There was um. there
1: was one episode where I was I looked at the little chart and it like dropped off after we wa- we talked about the first movie. Like it was a yeah. sharp drop off and I was like, "Ooh, what movie was that?" And I like looked it up and it was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> I don't even remember like right now what it was, but it was like, "Yeah, that movie wasn't good and we didn't give it a very good like review during the show." And yeah, I think people are just like, ah, I don't really want to listen to them talk about a bad oh, movie. Oh,
0: interesting. Hmm. Inter- <laughs> that is interesting.
1: So yeah, I mean, lesson learned. Apparently, we need to be funnier when we're tearing a movie apart.
0: <laughs> yeah, somewhat entertaining
1: or something. <laughs> Instead, we were just, I think, maybe just too upset that the movie didn't live up to what we have to do or something. I don't remember. Yeah. But anyway, well, fun Carrie,
0: stuff. we've been talking for almost an hour and a half, <laughs> uh, which is like the longest uh, podcast I've had so far. Oh which wow, is great! I, but do we I even- get an award? <laughs> Yeah, sure. Uh, It's in the mail. Okay. Uh, And you know how that's working right now. Yes, yeah. (laughs) USPS
1: might show up in 2022.
0: Right, right. Uh, Do you have your uh, stimulus check yet? Because I don't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm doing good on those. Yep, yep.
0: Right, yep, okay. Uh, I don't know where the rest
1: of the 2000 went, but... (laughs) <laughs> I'll figure that out later. I'm not doom scrolling right now.
0: I don't know what they pr- promised us anymore. Um, <laughs> so the We didn't even get to talk about the Austin School of Film, but I do yeah. – uh, this is a good time to at least mention not only where people can find you in the web series and all yeah. this kind of stuff, but like – I want you to talk about the open house for a second, uh, okay, a little bit, yeah. and tell us, and you know, and give us that little pitch if you can.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, as you mentioned before, I'm the community director at Austin School of Film. Uh, I both teach. Uh, I teach a production management class that has gone virtual, so um, that's been wild because I now have students in L.A. and New York and Austin all at the same time, and I'm explaining to them how to search. For locations and things. Um, and then at the Austin school of film, we are having an open house. Um, it's going to be a virtual open house, obviously, because let's not do this in person. Um, you can sign up to, to attend and ask any question you have about that amazing nonprofit, um, at the Austin or austinfilmschool.org dot org, And, um, And also, there's the link, of course, on their Instagram page. Uh, That nonprofit's awesome. They do about 500 classes year round and everything from pre production through post. Um, And then we've also expanded into a lot of new media stuff. We've got augmented reality courses, we have uh, a lot of obviously production courses, experimental video art, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a really cool avenue. And if you're looking for something to do during the pandemic, Some of those classes have gone virtual, but we also have a space that we've created for people who are looking to maybe just have little one-off that's a little lighter fare, um, and we call that play at home. And so on the play at home schedule, we have everything from there's a um, race and and representation and cinema uh, workshop that's happening for, I think it's a few hours. I think that's next week. Um, we have special effects makeup classes that are just little one-offs that you can get them a, a kit in the mail. So you're getting like the whole kit to make some look, whether it be like a big gash or a slash or gun hole, um, bullet hole or whatever. Um, and you're, you log into zoom and you get to follow along with the teacher. She gives you notes and like tips and tricks. And at the end of the the piece you also still have your entire makeup kit so you could make that look multiple times and you could test it out so it's a nice way to like be creative during the pandemic also have a little bit of time to like hang out with other people see what everybody else is up to um and yeah that that program has become a worldwide phenomena we have students in italy we have some regulars uh in South America, et cetera, um, that tune in for those and it's it's been really fun. So definitely a hot spot.
0: <laughs> yeah. What about these personal things that you're working on? Where can we find drink?
1: Yeah, so The Rink uh, is not not available right now. I can't remember what the next festival is. That is a terrible plug for that film. Um, But I am hoping once the pandemic is over to have some sort of horror showcase of a couple short films from a couple local filmmakers that I love and I know of the films because we've been on the the road with them. Uh, But I'd also probably take a few maybe submissions to that screening. So once we can all have fun together again, uh, be looking for a screening to pop up somewhere in instagram or something uh you can follow me at carrie cates and i'm sure i'll post all about that Uh, otherwise it's simple is the web series that will be showing up in february most likely when we are done with production and uh, somewhere right around valentine's day you should start seeing some of those first episodes and i'll post about that also on my instagram and yeah i think that's all i have to plug at the moment but
0: great no perfect um so yeah I can attest for the Austin School of Film being one of the greatest resources that Austin's ever <laughs> had in terms of like just location and people and classes and and so affordable yeah. like no joke um I mean it's it's affordable I I was a member there until the pandemic uh, mostly until I stopped making money, and I was just like, I can't, I'm not
1: doing anything. And then <laughs> you and everyone um, else,
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the pandemic happened, and then I just like couldn't go back to anything. But yep, uh, when it's open, it's like one of the greatest resources. Um, but yeah, so please check it out. And um, yeah, Carrie, uh, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, no and For jumping on to the podcast, this was a lot of fun to get a lot of great insight obviously I knew you would otherwise I wouldn't have had you on Aww,
1: that's very nice of you to say <laughs>
0: um and uh I, I I'm serious we have to have you on uh another time and I do think that there's got to be a time I feel like I need to do like just a round table I don't have to be a part of it because I don't know anything about but like funding films and producing films there has to be more talk about that for sure
1: oh yeah yeah definitely um, and yeah. i like i said i love talking about money and i also love gleaning other little bits when people drop uh that kind of stuff so even if i wasn't yeah. part of it i would love to listen to that cuz it sounds like a really You great only idea. ever
0: yeah you only ever get the stuff i feel like in uh, film festivals themselves when you go to panels and stuff yeah. right yeah which is something you have to pay for mm-hmm. so you're getting a lot of that stuff here for free
1: yeah and uh, <laughs> you know looking at your community here i'm just kind of scrolling through the list of names you've got some people in here that could really give some very great information on all of that so kudos yeah
0: As long as they would log in. Um, So, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, Speaking of which, you can find this episode, more episodes on AustinFilmCore.com. You're going to be able to find it wherever you get podcasts. Um, I hope if it's not somewhere, uh, let me know and I'm going to get it there because it's super easy. Um, And uh, yeah, and thank you again, Carrie.
2: And I hope you enjoyed
0: this. Um, And if you're on the Discord, uh, we always get to hang out afterwards in the lounge Uh, And I'm going to go over there and I'm going to pitch you my meta zombie film, which is a zombie film where zombie films exist in the world. So,
2: yeah. All right.
1: So,
0: thanks again. (laughs) Thanks again. (laughs) Thanks again for joining us. And we'll see you on the next one.
1: See ya.